It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In just over a year... Ukrainians have cleared rubble from 2,000 kilometers of roads, rebuilt over 40 bridges, renewed 900 train stations and depots. And all of this while fighting a war for their own survival. This week on EU Confidential. Ukrainians are reimagining their future. We're coming to you from London, where the Ukraine Recovery Conference has been taking place this week. The international community, including European countries and the EU, have stepped up to the plate when it comes to providing Ukraine with military and financial support to help fight the war. But Ukraine also has another big ask of its international backers, billions of dollars of financial support to help fund the reconstruction of the country. A recent report from the World Bank, United Nations and European Commission put the price tag at $411 billion and counting. It's a mammoth task. I'm Suzanne Lynch, host of EU Confidential, and this week we're in London at the O2 Arena, where senior figures from across the world of government, the private sector and civil society are gathering to tackle the question of reconstruction for Ukraine. I'm joined here in the press centre at the Ukraine Recovery Conference with my colleague Paula Tama, Politico's EU economy reporter. Like myself, Paula has made the trip over from Brussels here to London on the Eurostar. Good to have you with us, Paula. Thank you for having me. So look, Paula, this conference, uh, very interesting what we've been hearing here. We've got a host of figures from the international world, from the world of politics, uh, business, civil society. Um, But this isn't the first conference of this kind. No, exactly. So this Ukraine reform conferences have been happening since 2017. But of course, since 2022, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it has become a much more high profile affairs. And even just since last year, there's been conferences in Lugano, in Rome, in Paris, in Berlin. And today we are here in London. Yeah, and as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, um, the figure for this is 411 billion, according to the World Bank, UN and the European Commission in a recent report. Ukraine has been upfront about the need to start reconstruction now while the war is still going on. I mean, does this make sense for people? Well, politically, there is a big push to already give Ukraine the guarantees that Europe and other allies will be there and not to wait for the war to end. One, because 
that date is yet unknown. And secondly, because there are parts of Ukraine which are relatively safe or where you know business and GDP is going on. So you want to keep this country alive. You want to put money there to ensure that once the hostilities end, hopefully soon, then the recovery will not be so costly. Yeah, that's one of the points the Ukrainian government ministers here have made. They have said, look, a lot of the fighting, a lot of the destruction is happening in certain parts of the country. Although it is worth mentioning that this week, a few days before the conference began, Russia did uh, fire missiles, a barrage of missiles aimed at Lviv, which is just 70 kilometers from the Polish border. One significant player here is, of course, the EU. The European Union, just on the eve of the conference, announced a new package of support for Ukraine. We caught up with EU Commission Vice President Valdis Dombrovskis earlier at the conference. Okay, uh, Commission Vice President, thanks very much for joining us on EU Confidential. Um, Can you explain what the EU has proposed this week in terms of plans for reconstruction of Ukraine? European Commission has uh, proposed a financing package for uh, Ukraine of 50 billion euros covering both grants and loans uh, for the period of uh, 2024-2027. So with this, uh, European Union is a first uh, international uh, donor to come forward with a sizable financial support uh, package. So in terms of uh, the plan here, why does the EU feel it needs to support Ukraine, particularly when the country is still at war? I would say not only the EU, but the whole democratic world is supporting Ukraine. Clearly, uh, Russia's aggression is not only against Ukraine, it's against the whole European uh, security uh, architecture and rules-based multilateral world order. So, uh, therefore, EU has been uh, very clear that we will continue to support uh, Ukraine as long as it's uh, necessary. We have provided uh, financing need for uh, this year together with other international donors and now we are coming uh, forward with a medium-term plan. So this 50 billion proposal comprises both loans and grants as you explained. What are the next steps? This is just a commission proposal after all. Indeed. So we put this proposal forward in a context of a mid-term review of EU's multi-annual budget. So uh, this will cover period 2024 to 2027. So now we would expect that European member states, EU member states and uh, European Parliament would uh, proceed uh, quickly with a legislative process so that the package can enter into force already as of beginning of next year. And I mean, are you getting the sense that member states are behind this? Clearly, member states have also expressed uh, their support for Ukraine. Member states are also providing lots of uh, bilateral uh, assistance. So uh, clearly, we can expect member states also uh, supporting this uh, uh, medium term, uh, 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 both uh, covering the financing need and uh, reconstruction of Ukraine. So we're sitting here at this Ukraine recovery uh, conference. I'm looking, we're looking out at the Thames and the city of London, uh, kind of a symbol of business and investment. How important is the private sector in terms of what the reconstruction of Ukraine is really going to need? Well, uh, uh, definitely private uh, sector is going to be uh, very important and that's why the uh, focus of Ukraine uh, reconstruction uh, conference is uh, 
on uh, how to attract actually private sector, private financing to Ukraine's uh, reconstruction. There are two projects will be supporting for European Investment Bank to provide financing for small and medium enterprises in Ukraine. So uh, already we see that there are some uh, concrete uh, initiatives focusing on uh, private sector and that's in parallel to all uh, the work we are doing to raise public fin- funding for Ukraine. I mean, that's interesting about the involvement of small and medium-sized businesses in Ukraine. I mean, a lot of listeners um, will remember previous moments in history after the Iraq War, after Afghanistan, after the fall of the Soviet Union, when a lot of big business, a lot of Western companies made a lot of money uh, out of rebuilding these countries. I mean, are you worried that people are just going to be going in there for a quick book or how important is it that Ukraine itself and its businesses are involved in this reconstruction? Well, uh, it's uh, definitely important that uh, uh, Ukrainian businesses and uh, Ukrainian people and Ukraine uh, itself is benefiting from this. Uh, this is why we, when we are announcing this uh, 50 billion euros uh, medium term package for uh, Ukraine, uh, it will be based on the uh, reconstruction plan, uh, which is to be prepared by Ukraine itself, and which will combine investments and reforms which are necessary for Ukraine's uh, pass uh, towards EU accession. It also will come uh, with uh, very strict audit uh, mechanisms because it's important to ensure that money which we are uh, providing to Ukraine is well spent. So Valdis Dombrovskis there explaining what the EU has come forward with uh, this week but in a way Paula it was an interesting quirk of timing. This conference is taking place just at the moment that the EU was uh, looking or re-examining its long-term budget, its seven-year budget. It was due a mid-term review of that budget. Uh, That happened this week and the whole discussion about money for Ukraine fed into that discussion. Exactly. So you know, COVID, war, inflation, all of these things have drained the coffers of the EU. And therefore, on Tuesday, uh, the Commission went hat in hand to member states asking for 66 more billion. Um, and of that part, a large chunk is actually money for Ukraine. 17 billion in grants and then 33 billion in loans. And that money is meant to do three things help balance Ukraine's budget through 2027, kickstart reconstruction of its urgent needs, think everything from schools and hospitals and roads. And the third thing is to try and encourage private investors to pour their money into Ukraine. But it does have some challenges. I mean, this is just a proposal by the Commission for starters. Exactly. So you need unanimity to pass a budget update. So all 27 countries need to agree. And obviously, Ukraine is just part of what the Commission is asking for. They're also asking for more money for migration. They're asking for more money to repay the cost of servicing the EU debt, which have risen incredibly and more than doubled due to the ECB raising interest rates. So all of these discussions are on the table, but Ukraine is definitely a priority. And that's also why the Commission is pushing to get a deal on this by year's end in the winter. So despite all the divisions we often write about within the EU, there does seem to be quite a lot of consensus around the need to to fund on a more long-term basis the needs of Ukraine. That is probably the one aspect that all member states, including the frugal ones like Germany and the Netherlands, agree that requires more common funding. Okay, so that sounds like it's going to go through the EU system and hopefully get support. But there are other challenges. One issue that's coming up here, for example, is the issue of insurance. You know, how do you get private investors involved? Do you need war insurance to operate in a country that is effectively still at war? 
Well, actually, yes. And that's a huge need and a huge ask. I was in Berlin last October. I remember talking to Ukraine finance minister there, Sergei Marchenko, and he was saying, well, actually, this is priority number one for us because we want private investment to come in, but they won't unless insurers can back their, their risks. And private insurers are definitely not going to go and insure the country at war. So what the EU announced today together with the UK and EBRD is a pilot project to provide war insurance for Ukraine so that you do not just have to put taxpayers' money at risk, but you can put a guarantee. And in case the investment goes through and is successful, you know, the money will just stay there. One other issue that we're really picking up here at the conference is the issue of uh, Russian assets and whether uh, seized Russian assets should be used to fund the construction of Ukraine. Here's Rishi Sunak, the British Prime Minister, speaking about this at the conference. It's clear Russia must pay for the destruction that they've inflicted. So we're working with allies to explore lawful routes to use Russian assets. And on Monday, we published new legislation to allow us to keep sanctions in place until Russia pays up. And here's Latvia's Prime Minister, Christianis Karen. The perpetrator must pay. The Russians are destroying Ukraine. We have frozen billions, probably trillions of their assets. A way must be found to mobilize these assets to help offset the cost of the reconstruction. So Paula, this is a pretty complex issue. Yes, there is a ton of legal, political and economic questions linked to this. It's never been done before. So last year, shortly after Russia's invasion, around 300 billion of US dollars in securities belonging to the Russian central bank were frozen by sanctions participating countries. That means just that they're stuck there. But now the EU, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen today announced that the EU wants to move to use the proceeds from these assets, the majority of which are in the EU, for the benefit of Ukrainians. We will come with a proposal for these assets before the summer break because the perpetrator has to be held accountable. It's hugely divisive. There's a number of countries, including France, Italy and Germany, which think that this is a complicated issue. It could end up to be legally challenged in courts and um, other countries like the Baltics and Poland and the Nordics which are pushing for it. So it's not yet clear. It's just an announcement that von der Leyen made at the conference. Uh, But definitely it's quite, I would say, a ballsy move. And we're expecting this to be discussed at next week's EU Summit. Uh, EU Confidential will be coming to you from there, so we'll be hopefully be able to give you an update on that. But as you say, controversial. We know that the ECB has raised concerns about what it might mean for the euro. We know that in the US, US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and the Americans are not too keen either. A lot of road still to go on this. Thanks for that, Paolo. See you back in Brussels. Thank you. Do stay with us. After the break, we'll be joined by Ukraine's Oleksandra Azarkina, Deputy Minister for Communities, Territories and Infrastructure Development of Ukraine, on what the country really wants from this conference. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm joined now by Ukraine's Deputy Minister for Communities, Territories and Infrastructure Development, Alexandra Azarkina. Maybe give our listeners an idea, what are the kind of challenges facing Ukraine now in terms of reconstruction? We are following the day-to-day of this awful war, seeing all the developments, but there's another part, and this is the whole challenge now to rebuild the country. So basically, the easy answer for that question is all around the people's needs. Yes, a lot of people left Ukraine for some time, we hope, and we to bring them back. But at the same time, millions are staying here, working here, living here. And we as a state, we need to find the ways to provide the access to the basic needs. That's why the reconstruction, rebuilding process is happening right now. The country is trying to sustain its resistance, not only on the front line, but also on economic and social life. You know, like last year, our ministry were focusing, first of all, on the logistics to prevent humanitarian crises, to provide normal logistic ways for our army. Uh, This year, we understand that we are learning how to live and build while fighting. And for sure, that's the moment when we can approach different uh, spheres as, you know, social infrastructure and also some project for the development even. What are the specific needs? When we are talking about the focuses for this year and for the next year, it's about the critical infrastructure. That's why energy is the top. So we survived this winter, but we understand that we need to be better prepared for the next winter. Then we're talking all about the access to the water supply. And of course, because of the tragedy which just recently happened, the blue of the dam by Russians caused new challenges to us. Uh, But also after that, it's about housings. Nearly 2 million people in Ukraine either lost or they have damage of their, you know, uh, houses, apartments. So we need to provide people basic access to the housing. That's why we created um, two important tools. And uh, we have uh, our DIA application where each citizen has ID, digital documents. And we use this system to build a project. We call it e-recovery. When the people have uh, damages of their house or apartments because of the Russian attacks, they can apply for the aid from the state. Um, The amount of the uh, help, it's nearly four and a half thousand dollars for the minor repairs. And also like uh, here we're working on the project, which now in the process of the realization for the compensation for the people who lost their 
houses or apartments. And that's where we started to use Russian arrested assets which were present in Ukraine. And frankly speaking, we would like to inspire others by this example. We understand all challenges around the possibility to sell them or like to approach them somehow. But at least we are asking the countries, uh, the partners of Ukraine to have a look in for the possibilities to issue at least guarantees or loans mm-hmm. under, you know, those funds to be used as the, as the guarantees. Because for sure, we're relying a lot on the partners and we're very grateful. But we understand that's Russia who need to pay for our restoration. On the broader point, you explained very vividly there the need to kind of start this reconstruction process while the war is ongoing. But realistically, for investors, is it practical that people are going to invest in a country when war is still going on and things are changing so quickly? As you mentioned, um, the awful destruction of the dam this month uh, shows how, you know, the ground is literally shifting all the time. How can companies and governments actually invest in a country at war? It's important fact that even during the war, there are sectors where the investments were happening. First of all, logistics. So during the, um, even last year ago, when the seaports were already um, still blocked totally, the Danube River started to be developed and the private investment happened there. It's nearly $100 million for sure, might be more. So the companies were constructing, still constructing infrastructure there to get the goods out of the country. A lot of challenges to our agrarian sector. Still, it keeps feeding the world. So the economic is there. In the same time, our IT sector is still paying a lot of taxes, even during the war and fight. If you want to support Ukraine now, support Ukrainian businesses, because they do not have access to the finances and to the technologies. Now the interest rate rates for Ukrainian business is 27%. Mm. And even in these conditions, they keep working, they keep investing, and we're just grateful to them. Also, we have quite examples. For example, German Minister of Economic, uh, they are supporting their businesses working in Ukraine by the guarantees. And that's the example we inspire our other countries to take. Last year, the majority of the money Ukraine were getting for the restoration, they were either from the Ukrainian reserve funds, either from the um, loans. So thanks to our European partners, first of all, European Investment Bank, the former loans, which were planned for the renovation of, you know, highways in Ukraine, they were repurposed to the um, reconstruction of the bridges. We have 326 destroyed bridges in the country. So we have now under the construction 40 of them. And that's again, that's important. Even if they're going to be destroyed again, That's not the problem if we can keep them using for the purposes of the economic, for the purposes of the export, for the purposes of the mobility inside the country. And it does seem that certain parts of the country are more affected than others. So obviously over in the east, you know, you've got critical needs there. You know, could you give us a sense of what are are the actual specific needs in some of these areas and where you need the money fast? So now, of course, all our focus on the Kahovka Dam. It's not only about the people who lost their houses, who lost their lives, but also the industry, our steel production, which was still vivid even during this terrible war. Now they suspended their steel production because of the lack of the water. The same for agriculture sector. So a lot of the lands cannot be properly irrigated. To those consequences, are the worst in terms of the long-term planning. And now uh, we are trying to coordinate the donor society, the volunteers, first of all, of course, to help people. At the same time, of course, we started already thinking about the way how to provide the water um, to the regions already. 
together with our agency for the restoration, uh, we uh, have funds for the government to construct the water supply pipes now. And again, I will just underline, if we'll have the ability to support the businesses, businesses will manage how to find you the best solutions. So you mentioned earlier about the role for Ukrainian businesses. How would that work? And is the government confident that the structures are there, that, you know, everything is above board, there's no corruption issues? Uh, when these uh, reconstruction projects start, which are going to involve, as you say, billions of dollars. So for sure, we're working on the anti-corruption architecture in the overall restoration process. First of all, we are building the dream system. It's our digital system to manage the restoration. So it's open to the public, the data, where we have all the projects of the restoration. For example, you have a destroyed hospital in your community. You can go in for the dream system and check who is financing it. Then you can see who is the contractor. You can see at which stage of the uh, process the project implementation is. If uh, the technical supervision mentioned that the building was already painted, and if it's not, that's even the citizen who can claim that saying no painting at the place. And that would lead, of course, for the consequences. So that's the first thing. Also, we are working together with the World Bank on the prioritization methodology, which is based on the calculations around the amount of people who can get the access to those or those services because of this investment. And also it evaluates the effects for social, economic, for overall development for one system. What would you like in particular from the EU? Do you think the EU is doing enough on this or what would your message be to Brussels? Our pitches around the businesses again and again we will move there because like if we only will get some you know like a support in the payments or support in some you know like a loans that's not enough so we need to build the partnership. And just really final question I mean we're here in London for this conference but what's it like for ordinary people that day-to-day life in Ukraine at the moment? It's difficult, obviously. Like, uh, for sure, it's easier in Kiev than it's um, in Kharkiv. It's easier in Lviv than in Kiev. So in Kiev, sometimes you can see that there is a normal life. Then, you know, again, another way of attacks, you see some death, some destruction. You're just in shock. Your eyes are already too dry to, you know, to, to mourn for each child we lost. But at the same time, the brain is starting to adapt and just keep going. Okay, Minister, thank you very much for joining us. And that's all we have time for on this episode of EU Confidential. We'll be back next week in Brussels, so please do be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can get in touch with any ideas for guests or topics. The email address is podcast at politico.eu. This week's episode was produced and edited by Jack Butcher and Robert Nicholson of Whistledown Productions. And at Politico, our executive producer is Christina Gonzalez. I'm Suzanne Lynch in London. See you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.